Thank you, worship team. Good morning, everyone. So before I forget, um, the children are dismissed to go to Sunday school in the fellowship hall. You may make your way. You're very welcome. So my name is Garrett. I am the youth pastor here, and I've got a couple announcements for you, or at least that's what would normally happen. <laughs> so we're doing something a little bit different this morning. I'm not going to just straight up give you announcements. We're going to put some reminders in your calendar right now. So pull out your phones. That's okay. I'm not going to judge. Open your calendar app. First things first. I'll give you a minute or a second. Okay, that's good. You're going to go to Thursday. And on Thursday, you're going to send a reminder for yourself to register for church on Sunday. And a lot of you, oh, no, I forgot this week. Yeah, we know. <laughs> so make sure you register. We got to know the numbers. We got to make sure we're not going over that 30%. Next, on Tuesday is the last day you can get your shoeboxes in. Um, that's the deadline for the uh, Operation Christmas Child. So get those shoeboxes in. If you have one sitting at home, pack it. Get it in on Tuesday. The third thing, I'm going to have to look at the papers that I chucked on the stage. Right, baptism classes. So there's going to be baptism um, Sunday on December 5th. There are classes happening, if you check your bulletin, if you check the website, at 9.30 on Sunday to 10.30. Those are the correct times. So you miss part of the service, but uh, you won't miss the message. So that's for the next three Sundays before December 5th. Is that including today? Okay, that is including today. So if you're interested in baptism, membership, uh, contact the office. You can check the website. But the classes are happening in the next couple weeks, so get on that. The next two announcements are not relevant for everybody, but you should still mark your calendar. Grief Share is kind of wrapping up. They've just got a couple weeks left. That's a Thursday afternoon uh, small group. Again, you can check our website, www.northgatebaptist.ca. After church, after the service today, there is a young adult's lunch. So if you need to put a reminder in your phone for that as well, that's probably important. I know some of you walk out of here like you've been holding your breath the whole sermon, and you've got to get up to breathe. Mark your calendar so you don't forget. And uh, that is it. Those are all the reminders. Um, so you allow me to pray for the rest of uh, the service this morning. God, we thank you for who you are, and we thank you that we can come this morning, that we can meet, and uh, God, we pray that while we hear from your word this morning, that God, you would transform our hearts, transform our minds, uh, give us comprehension of what's being said for those of us here and at home, and I pray that uh, in all we do, God, that we would glorify you, God, that you would draw us to yourself, God, and you would transform us to be more like Christ. God, we pray these things in your name. Amen. Good morning. I don't know about you, but I couldn't even get my phone open. <laughs> We're wearing masks and there's passcodes and I couldn't find the calendar app. Oh, anyways. 
Thank you, Garrett, for those announcements. And good morning to everyone who is here once again. Uh, whether you're here in person or you're joining us online, just thank you for joining us, spending time with us. And I would encourage you uh, to take your Bibles, open them up to the book of Philippians. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 3 this morning as we continue to work our way through this letter that Paul wrote to the church in Philippi, the little town of Philippi. Uh, and I hope, I do hope that these lessons that we've had learned have been a blessing to you. Because uh, we've looked at so many wonderful things. We've had lessons about joy, lessons about fellowship, lessons on unity uh, in the church, about humility, about living out our salvation, and lessons about knowing Jesus and knowing him more and more. And, you know, I was reflecting on some of those things this week, and it just, they really hit home uh, for me personally. I just, these were either, either things I needed to be reminded of or things that I really needed to make sure I was putting into practice in my own life. So just very relevant teaching, I think, as we work through Philippians. And I don't think today's any different. Uh, as this morning, Paul, he helps us take our next step in our pursuit of joy by telling us how we can be living as citizens of heaven. And this lesson would have, I think, hit sort of home in the town of Philippi, especially hard, because Philippi was a Roman settlement. Not every town had that sort of designation. Uh, so the citizens there who lived there, who worked there, they were proud, very proud of their times, ties to Rome. But as proud as they were of their sort of their earthly Roman citizenship, Paul tells us in this passage that as believers who are in the church of Philippi, it's actually even more important for them to live as citizens of heaven. And to do that, he offers them some of this advice that we have in our passage this morning on how they can be sort of heavenly-minded even as they live as earthbound believers. So if you want to follow along with me, uh, we're going to begin in Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 15. And Paul writes these words. He says, Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if any one of you thinks otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and their glory is in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and whom I long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Let's pray. Father God, as we come before you again this morning, as we open your word and your truth, I pray that, Lord, you would speak to us. Um, Lord, and these are going to be challenging words, and they should be, because, Lord, it is not easy to live as citizens of heaven in, in this fallen world. But, Lord, I pray that this truth would... Um, just inspire us, that it would encourage us, that, would, it, would, that would, it would help press us on towards the goal, which is heavenward, 
in Christ Jesus. Lord, we invite you to be with us. Uh, Lord, we invite you to meet with us. We invite you to be our teacher this morning. And Lord, may I fade away. May Jesus be lifted high uh, in all that we do this morning. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we begin this morning, I don't think it would come as a shock, probably to anyone here this morning, if I were to say something like, I think we live in kind of a crazy world right now. Uh, and it's a world that seems like it's only getting crazier sometimes. Uh, <laughs> but unfortunately, as you're probably all aware, this world happens to be sort of the only real choice we have. It's not like we can hop on the next planet and see if those people are, you know, less crazy. And as we approach our passage this morning, one thing we just need to keep in mind is that we're, we're stuck here in, in this crazy world, and, and the world is it, it's, and it's constantly changing. Uh, you know, even in the last hundred years or so, um, we've seen so much change. The, the population of Earth in 1850 was one billion people. In 18, or 1930, it was two billion people. And here, less than 100 years after that, we're at 7, almost 8 billion people. Um, that's a lot of change. And the way we understand the world is changing too. Uh, some estimates say that the world's knowledge is doubling every three years. The number of books published um, today is about 100,000 times uh, the number of books they published annually 100 years ago. But one of my favorite examples of our changing world comes from the way we get around uh, in the 1800s, the fastest a person could ever expect to travel was about 30 miles per hour on horseback. Uh, and that's for only for as long as the horse could keep that pace up. And in fact, when the railroads came in, were first introduced, many people feared that they would be the downfall of the nation because they were simply too fast. And they weren't any faster than a horse. And yet today, if we're not going 100 miles an hour, we're going to be late for work. It's crazy. But it's not just that sort of those physical things around us that we see changing. It's the morals of our world have been changing too. And we live in this world where they really have this attitude where anything goes. Uh, I think the motto is, if it feels good, just do it. That's sort of the highest value that people live their lives by. And sin is just considered sort of another personal lifestyle choice. So here's the question that all of this raises for us as believers, and that's simply, how do we live in a world like that? How do we live in a world that, that changes its mind about right and wrong more often than my kids change their socks? A world that, where the schools teach evolution. A world where self-proclaimed experts deny the validity of scriptures. A world where our courts have stripped Christianity out of every public institution. A world full of distractions and a world that still holds all the age-old dangers to our faith, but constantly dresses them up in enticing new packages. Because it seems like more and more, at least for me, maybe I'm getting old, but the words of that old gospel song are just so true. This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. And perhaps that's a long way of introducing this passage this morning, but until that day when we're all sort of called up in glory to meet our Lord... I think we should be asking ourselves the question, how are we as believers supposed to live? And that's exactly what Paul is talking to us about this morning in our passage. Uh, he's giving us lessons that we as believers need to be holding on to as we try to live life in this ever-changing world. Lessons that keep us grounded 
even as the world around us is sort of starts spinning out of control. These are lessons that will keep our lives in Christ stable when the whole world around us just seems to be like going to crazy town. These are lessons on being citizens of heaven that offers us a heavenly mindset even as we live our lives as earthbound believers. And the first lesson for that comes in verse 15, where Paul says, let those of us who are mature think this way. And if any, in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. And what Paul is really telling us here in this verse is we need to be clear about what our purpose is as believers as we live our lives. We need to be clear and we need to be focused about what our goal is. And that's something we need to have in common, as Paul says. You know, we need to agree on this. Paul says all of us should think this way. And not only that, if you think differently, it's something that God himself will make clear to you in time. Because as believers, we're not to be sort of walking around in a fog about what our reason for being here is. It's like that old joke about the government worker. He had a sign on his desk that said, the secrecy of my job does not allow me to know what I'm doing. Um, I phoned that guy on the phone, I think, um, trying to get help. But that's not how believers are to be living their lives. As believers, our purpose should be clear. We should be know, know what we're doing. And what is our purpose? I mean, what is this way, Paul says, we should be thinking of as, as, as mature believers? What's he talking about? Well, he's just finished telling us what he's talking about in the passage we looked at last time. And we could probably summarize that thought with uh, Philippians chapter 3, verse 8, when he talks about all that, but I think he really says in verse 8, he says, Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. That whole passage he was talking about, knowing Jesus Christ more and more. That was his purpose. That was his passion. And that should be our goal and our purpose and our passion as well. That, as Paul says, is what we should be thinking of. That's what we have in common. And it should be something we do all the time. I mean, with this, in this world, there are so many distractions, you know, and so many demands that we face as we live our lives in this world today. But even as those distractions and demands come, we need to be clear about what our one true purpose is as believers and let nothing distract us from that goal. Because we're not here on this earth to get rich. We're not here to have a comfortable life. We're not here to have a good time. We're not here to see who dies with the most toys. We're here to know Jesus and to know him more and more and more. That's how we spend our time. That is our goal. That is our passion. That is our purpose. And if that's not clear to you as a believer, it needs to be. Because that's Paul's first lesson uh, in this passage this morning. Clear about our purpose. We've got to know why we're here. And then the second lesson comes in verse 16, where he says this, Only let us hold true to what we have attained. And again, Paul here is referring back to the words he's just written. So what did he tell us? What did he just tell us that we have attained in Christ? Well, he told us we have attained freedom from legalism. We've attained grace. We have attained the gospel. You know, We've been forgiven of sin because of Jesus Christ. And we've, as he said, we've attained Christ himself and the privilege as believers of getting to know him more and more and more in our lives. That's what we've attained. And he tells us we need to hold on to those things. 
Because believe it or not, as precious as each of those things are, there is a real danger for believers, especially if we're not careful, to just let those kind of things slip away. And Paul had seen that happen firsthand in many churches as he proclaimed the gospel to these people and they believed in Jesus Christ. In time, they just strayed. He says in Galatians, um, Paul writes to that church in Galatia, in Galatians 1, verse, beginning in verse 6, he says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. And he writes to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians eleven four. He says, for if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaim, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, he says, you put up with it readily enough. And in, Coloss- in the Colossae, he writes in Colossians 2, verse 8, he says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of this world, not according to... To Christ. You see, there is a very real danger for believers when it comes to us straying from the grace and the freedom of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I think that the best way of ensuring that we are holding on to those things is for us to continually remind ourselves and immerse ourselves in the Word of God. You see, truth is the best protection against lies. And deception cannot stand when you are grounded in the truth of the Bible. And I think Paul agrees with me. Because he says things like this in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13, 14. He says, What you have heard from me, keep as a pattern of sound teaching. With faith and love in Christ Jesus, guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. He says, keep this safe. 2 Thessalonians 2.15, he says, Stand firm and hold fast to the teaching we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. 1 Corinthians 16.1, he says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and in which you stand, and by which you are saved if you hold fast to the word I preached to you. You see, I think Paul sees the truth of Jesus, the truth of the gospel, as something incredibly valuable, something to be treasured, and something that we need to hold on to in our lives. And holding on to that, it just, it keeps us safe. And I need to tell you very clearly, in this world we are living, we need that. Because truth matters. I mean, right now we are living in what I would call a post-truth culture. Truth, for the people outside the church, Truth doesn't really matter that much to them. We have fake news. We have alternative facts. Those things are normal for us now. Uh, Everyone kind of believes what they want to believe in. Everybody just makes up their own narrative. Everybody's putting their opinion on something and their place that opinion is more important than facts or proof or even reality right now. Truth is something that has become far too easy for people just to ignore uh, for their whatever, their own agendas. But for the believer, it is the Bible, it is the Word of God, it is truth that anchors us. The Bible is the an anchor of truth in a world that is like full of crazy. It grounds us 
And that's how we hold fast, hold true to what we have attained in Christ. But even then, truth, that truth that we're holding on to, truth is something that is best learned and lived when we do it together. I love verse 17, where Paul says, Brothers, join in me, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Here Paul offered himself, his own life, as a model for people to follow as they lived their life for Christ. Because Paul not only told people, he showed people how to live out their faith. And this is our third lesson. And that is, as believers, we need good examples to follow. And those examples are not sort of, you know, people who we think of as super spiritual. They're not the preachers on TV. The examples that we look to as Christians, the people we are to be following, are, are each other. They're, they're you, they're me, they're the people in this room. The people we surround ourselves with every day. And I really think as believers, we simply don't spend enough time just together, intentionally learning from each other. So I want to encourage you this morning, offer your life as an example to others. Be intentional about that. Let, just be open about letting people see the way you live your life for Christ. Let them see how you treat people. See how you work. See how you deal with stress. See how you're interacting with your family. Because so much of what we learn is not just sort of formal learning or, or not just what we hear or what we read. It's what we see. Um, actually, my son Abram, I don't know where he is. He's up there somewhere. He actually asked me a question in the car this morning. He said, how, do you, how did you teach us to talk? I said, you just picked it up. Like you just, you watched, you learned. I couldn't teach you to talk if I tried, but somehow I did it. So this is, I mean, it's kind of mind-blowing, but you, we learn from watching. Example is so powerful. And you know, a way for me to learn how to be a good Christian father is not just to read books about it. It's for me to see other Christian fathers interacting with their kids. How do I learn to act towards my neighbors? Well, I can see other believers and how they interact with their neighbors. And I can learn better ways of doing that. You know, how do, how do I learn to pray better? How do I read my Bible? Well, I can spend time with other believers as they're doing those things. And that's a powerful way to learn. You know, you don't need to be sitting in a class to learn something. You know, one of the, when I look back on my own life, probably the most formative time for me when I was growing in my faith as sort of a younger man was when I was leading worship here in the church in about the 90s sometime. But you know, I, my growth didn't come from the fact that I was in leadership or the fact that I was leading worship and organizing practices. My growth came because every week after practice, we had a worship practice on Wednesday nights, a bunch of us would just go out to Boston Pizza and we would order nachos and we would drink root beer and we would sit there for hours just together talking. And it was Andre and Steph and the Hamels were there, a few of those names. And we would just talk. We, we, would, we would talk about our lives. We would talk about, you know, things that we've been reading that would be challenging to us. We would talk about our struggles, talk about work, talk about school. And again, there was no agenda. We didn't show up with a lesson plan. There was no curriculum. It was just time spent with other believers. And it was very informal. But it was every bit of it, it was discipleship. 
And it shaped my growth very powerfully as a young Christian man. The power of example and living lives together. And maybe you're like me, you know, maybe your reaction to this is all to say, well, I don't want that. I don't want people to, I don't want to be an example because I feel like I make so many mistakes. I would tell you two things there. First, you don't get a choice. You are an example. You're either, you can either be a good example or you can be a bad example, but you are an example. And the second thing I would tell you is you don't need to be perfect. Because remember, neither was Paul. Paul, he's already written in Philippians 3, verses 12 and 14. He says, not that I've already attained this or already been made perfect. And again, brothers, I don't consider myself to having taken hold of this. See, Paul says, I'm still working this stuff out too. But we can do it together. And we can offer our lives as examples when we do. And you know, all of us have something we can offer. All of us have an example that we can give if we are intentional about just being willing to do life together. And as we live our lives in this crazy world, you know, we can't overlook the importance of doing life together as believers and being with each other and offering our lives as examples to those around us. And COVID's made that tough. I know that. But we need to be even more intentional about it going forward. Um, so we can't overlook that, and we can't overlook the next point either. We can't overlook the dangers uh, hidden all around us uh, as well. Uh, that's where Paul takes us next. Uh, reading at verse 18, he then says, For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, they walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. So Paul's next lesson is really a warning to us to be on alert for those he calls the enemies of the cross. And you know, we know the world. The world is full of people who are opposed to the gospel. Opposition to our faith is very real. Last week was, you know, we had the time for day of prayer for the persecuted church. There are people in the world suffering far more than we are for persecution. But even for us, opposition is real. We could even go to Jesus' own words in Matthew 10, 22. He says, you will be hated by all people for my name's sake. And that's still very true. But Paul here is trying to have us be especially vigilant of one group of enemies in particular. And as I was going through the passage this week, I came across actually three possibilities uh, three different interpretations as I went through the commentaries of who these enemies of the faith are that he references here. Uh, some suggested these were carnal Christians. Um, Christians who knew about Jesus but didn't really want to know him personally. They didn't want to actively live their lives for him. Instead, these Christians were so caught up in worldly living that their lives were indistinguishable from the world around them. And in this case, the, Paul, the tears that Paul mentions in verse 18 would be tears shed for the tragedy of these people living their lives for something less than knowing Christ fully. And you know what? There are carnal Christians in this world and in the church, and it's a tragedy. But you know what? As much as that's one example, I don't think that's what Paul is referring to here. So there's a second interpretation that Paul here is speaking about all, all unbelievers in general. Uh, and you know what? When you look at Paul's description of these people, uh, these verses very much describe the life of an unbeliever. Their God is their belly. Their glory is their shame. Their minds are set on earthly things. 
I mean, that's a description of a life of a person who's bound in sin, who is a slave to the desires of the flesh, who really can only seek temporary pleasures of sin as their highest goal. And if that's the case, Paul here, I think, is weeping because just of his compassion for the lost and his knowledge that without Jesus, their end can only be an eternity in hell. And that interpretation is possible. But I think even more than just unbelievers, Paul is actually has in mind here to warn us more specifically against a group of unbelievers that I would call false teachers. Because the Bible has very similar things to say about false teachers to what Paul says in this verse. Um, Jesus says in Matthew 7, verse 15, he says, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. False teachers are clear enemies of the faith. They are enemies of the cross, and they proclaim just a different gospel. They distort the gospel. They're enemies of the faith. And Peter, when he talks about false teachers, he also mentions that their end is destruction, just like Paul says, and how their motives and their desires are rooted in their flesh, how their gods are basically their bellies too. So 2 Peter 2, verse 1 to 3, Peter says, there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality. And because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. And then again, Paul, in referring to sort of the same kind of legalists that he just talked about earlier in chapter 3. He says in, in Titus, chapter 1, verse 10 and 11, He says, for there are many rebellious people full of meaningless talk and deception, especially those of the circumcision group. They must be silenced because they are disrupting whole households by teaching things they ought not to teach, and that for the sake of dishonest gain. So again, there's that sort of the God is their bellies, they're they're in it for themselves. So I really feel like these are false teachers in particular that Paul is addressing here when he talks about the enemies of the cross. And Paul would then be weeping as he writes this with tears. He would be weeping because of the damage that he knows false teachers can do in a church. He weeps for the truth that is lost because of their deception. He weeps for the priorities that get distorted. He weeps for the compromises that are accepted. He weeps for the Christian whose faith grows cold because they've been led astray into lies. And Paul weeps, I think, because he knows just how successful they can be. And they're still finding success. Please know false teachers are still alive and well today, and they're probably more dangerous than ever because with the accessibility of TV and the radio and now the internet, they can reach millions of people at a time. So Paul warns us, be on the lookout for false teachers. Be on the lookout for people who preach a different gospel because of the enemies of the cross. Now, that could be kind of a depressing thought, but thankfully, Paul's next piece of advice moves us to a more positive note, saying in verse 20, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So Paul's next lesson for having sort of a heavenly mindset as earthbound believers is Well, he tells us to hold on to your hope in Jesus Christ. You know, as people who are citizens of heaven, we are waiting 
for something amazing. We have something to look forward to. And that's something, something to live for. And that something is the most important something. It is the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. We live with hope. And you know what a contrast that is to the world around us? Because the world around us, we live in a world of people who think, I've got to have it now. People go into debt and they max out their credit cards. They take out second mortgages, all because they have to have the latest thing, the newest model, and they don't want to wait. I've heard it described like this. We spend money we don't have to buy things we don't need to impress people we don't even like. That is the world. But you know what? I can understand why the world around us lives like that. Because they don't live with hope beyond this world. As far as they know, what they see is all that they get. To them, you get maybe 80 years on this rock hurtling around the sun. And that's if you're lucky. And then after that, nothing. You're fertilizer for daisies. They don't have hope. So they try to get it all now. But as Christians on the other, we have a future filled with much more than we see today. We have the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and the promise of eternal life with him. And that changes how we live. I mean, we don't, we don't have to get our way all the time. We don't have to grab everything we can out of this life. Christians don't have to live, you know, uptight, selfish lives. We can be the most generous people on the face of the earth because we know infinitely more awaits us in Christ. And as Paul says, verse 20, we are citizens of heaven. And please know that truth is a truth we don't have to wait to live out. That's something that's true even here right now on this planet. And Warren Worsby reminds us as citizens of heaven, it means that our names are in heaven's record. We speak heaven's language. We obey heaven's laws. We're loyal to heaven's cause and we look forward to heaven's king. J.A. Packer says to those who have learned to love and trust Jesus, the prospect of meeting him face to face and being with him forever is the hope that keeps us going no matter what life may throw at us. So we live with hope. Which leaves us just one more lesson we can learn from Paul this morning. And this one he actually sneaks into chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, where he says, Therefore, my brothers, whom I long, love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. And this is a lesson Paul has already brought up a few times in this letter, but he feels the need to say it again. And the lesson is stand firm. Persevere in your faith. Because I think Paul knows how easy it can be for us to get distracted. He knows the hard times and the trials that can come our way that, as Christians, just make us weary. And he knows the great enemies of our faith will never tr stop trying to make us stumble as believers. And that's why living as citizens of heaven takes perseverance. You know, it reminds me of a speech Winston Churchill gave to Parliament during the Battle of Britain, World War II, and in part of that speech, he said these words. He says, I have nothing to offer but blood, toil, tears, and sweat. We have before us an ordeal of the most grievous kind. We have before us many, many months of struggle and suffering. For our goal is victory at all costs. Victory in spite of terrors. Victory however long and hard the road may be. For without victory, there is no survival. 
We shall not flag or fail. We shall go on to the end. We shall fight in France. We shall fight on the seas and the oceans. We will fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We will defend our island, whatever the cost may be. We shall fight on the beaches. We'll fight on the landing grounds. We'll fight in the fields and in the streets. We'll fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. And that's the kind of attitude we need to have as we fight the good fight of faith. We keep on going. We refuse to give up or give in. We stand firm. We persevere. We never surrender. We keep on going. And that matters. Even Charles Spurgeon used to say, even the snail reached the ark through persevering. And walking with God is never easy. Temptations are always going to come. They're going to try and get us off track. But in the end, there's no better or greater way to live our lives in this world or any other than to live our lives for the Lord. So I hope we'll take Paul's advice this morning in, in knowing how to have this heavenly mindset even as earthbound believers. First, we have a clear purpose. We understand that we are to live our lives knowing Christ more. And don't let anything distract ourselves from that. Let no priority get us off track from doing that. Second, we hold fast to the gospel and the truth of God. Third, we live to be an example to others of a life lived by faith. Fourth, we're wary of the dangers to our faith and, faith and the enemies of the cross, especially false teachers who would leave us astray. Fifth, we embrace our hope in Christ and we let it draw us forward as we wait in expectation for his appearing. And finally, we persevere. We don't give up. We don't give in. We stand firm in our faith. And I would just encourage us all to do that. Focus on those things. Live them out. Put them into practice in your life because they will make a big difference as we look to live as citizens of heaven in the midst of even this lost world. Just close with a short story uh, I came across this week. It's a letter just written by a man in the third century, a man who was anticipating his own death, and he wrote these words to a friend. And he says, it's a bad world. It's an incredibly bad world. But I have discovered in the midst of it a quiet and holy people who have learned a great secret. They have found a joy which is a thousand times better than any pleasures of our sinful life. They are despised and they are persecuted, but they care not. They're masters of their souls and they have overcome the world. And he says, these people are Christians and now I'm one of them. You know, we live in an ever-changing world. We live in this fallen world. We live in a world that can be crazy and hostile to our faith. But even though we're stuck here for now as earthbound believers, in truth, we are citizens of heaven. And we are awaiting our king who has overcome the world. And he has given us the victory. He has shown us the way and he's given us all that we need to make sure we keep living for him. Because this world may distract us and discourage us, even try to destroy us, but it cannot stop us from living our lives for Christ. Let's pray. Lord God, <laughs> we come before you as fallen people who are living in a fallen world. But Lord, we know that because of you and because of your cross and because of salvation, even though we are fallen, we are forgiven. 
And we've gone from living in the bondage of flesh, the flesh to freedom in Christ. We've gone from being earthbound sinners to heavenbound saints. And because of you, we are now part of the family of God. We are citizens in heaven. And I just pray, Lord, that you would help us to just more and more live out that truth. Even, even as we live that in a world that is hostile to that, a world, you know, that doesn't accept that and even resists that. And I know, the Lord, there's dangers that would lead us astray. There are deceivers who like to twist the truth. There are even distractions that come our way that get our eyes off Jesus. But, Lord, I pray that we would live with a determination to put you first that we would live with a passion to know you more and more as our Lord and as our God. And Lord, I pray that these words today would help us to do that, that they would encourage us, that they would inspire us, and that they would remind us, Lord, that this world is not our home. We ask this and pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Pastor.